Hey there, Lisa Schwartz here. Welcome to my podcast, Teach and Talk with Lisa, where we are unpacking biblical principles with everyday words and applying them to our everyday lives. Now in this series, we have been talking about how to define your worth. How do I really know what my value is? We've talked about all the different messages that the world sends us. We have certainly talked about the messages that the enemy sends us. In the last episode, we talked about the many deceptions of Satan and we talked about the names of Satan and why it's important that we have an understanding of how he works, that we are alerted to um, how he wants to trip you up in your walk with Christ. Today, we're gonna be talking about what is the enemy's goal? Like, what is he really after? What does he want to do? So we're gonna kind of break this down into two um, points. The very first point is obvious for those of you who are believers and have come into salvation, who have believed and received Jesus as your personal savior. Um, We know that Satan's first goal is to keep us from salvation. He wants us to be stuck in eternity Um, in damnation and not be redeemed as the children of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the enemy wants to keep us from life, the life that we find from Jesus that he gave us through his blood shed on the cross. So we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and have been transferred into, um, into the kingdom of light. That's what it tells us in Colossians. And we have been delivered from the control of the enemy and brought into um, the fullness of the kingdom through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says in Romans 8.39 that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And we learn from this that once we have come into salvation, the enemy really can do nothing to really cut you, separate you from being a child of God, from being Um, redeemed from coming into that salvation. We know it says in 2 Corinthians that he has given us, uh, placed his seal of ownership on us through the deposit of the Holy Spirit as a sign that we are signed, sealed, and delivered as God's children because of the blood of Jesus. So Satan really can do nothing to therefore separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus once we receive Jesus as our Savior. So his second goal, what he wants to do from there is he wants to keep you from living your life to the fullest. He wants to keep you from having that life um, abundantly. We know in John 10, 10, it says the thief, meaning the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, meaning Jesus, I have come that you would have life and you would have it to the full. Now, while we, once we receive salvation and while we just learned that really the enemy can't remove that salvation from us, what he can do is he can keep us from reaping the abundance of that life. So again, in John 10, 10, it says, I have come that you would have life and you would have it to the full. That word full there or abundantly in some versions um, comes from uh, the Greek word parasos, uh, which means a super abundant in quality. It's in the sense of going beyond, of an overflow. It's an excessive amount. Um, it's a superior. Uh, if I'm reading some of the definitions, it talks about exceedingly, beyond measure, sur- <laughs> superfluous, uh, which I love that word, superfluous. Um, meaning more than needed, 
Um, so it's an intense feeling of more than enough. Um, I'm reminded in the Old Testament of how um, God moves his people from the land of lack, meaning I'm in captivity and I'm in Egypt, and he delivers them out of captivity and brings them into the wilderness, which was the land of just enough. And once we have received salvation, that's that movement from the captivity of the enemy into this land of I am with God and I have just enough. But God says, I want you to have more than enough. It's God's desire that you would move into the land of more than enough, that abundantly, that exceedingly, that overflow that he was promising them through the promised land. This is the, I want you to have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to have it to the full. The enemy does not want you to experience the fullness of life that God has in mind for you. Moreover, he does not want you to experience the fullness of your potential that God has in mind for you. So the enemy wants to keep you from living a fruitful and a productive life, which is a part of our original design. If we remember in Genesis 1:29, God laid hands on Adam and Eve and he said, be fruitful, multiply, stand on the earth, subdue it, um, have dominion. And so it's a part of our design that God has designed us that, that we would be fruitful, we would be productive, that we would live a life of abundance. Now hear me when I'm saying, I'm not just talking about abundance around us. I'm talking about an abundance of peace and an abundance of healthy relationships, abundance of joy, an abundance of confidence, boldness. Um, and so when I'm talking about being fruitful and productive and living in abundance, I'm not talking about living in huge houses and having all these cars and all these things. Uh, I'm not saying it discludes that, but what I'm saying is he's talking more a matter of the heart and a matter of your soul because God is always more concerned with what's happening inside of you than what is happening on the outside of you. If you have not um, seen my series on uh, overcoming the wilderness, um, mastering your wilderness, I would highly encourage you to go check that out talking about how do we learn to live based on what God is doing on our inside versus what we're experiencing on our outside. So there are a lot of ways that the enemy works to keep us from experiencing this abundant life. But I want to talk to you about the power of dividing your devotion. Now, I could do an entire series on um, your devotion and where are your devotion and your affection. I'm reminded of uh, Colossians 3, 2, where it says setting your mind on things above and not on earthly things. And that, that word mind there is the Greek word phroneo, uh, which is actually the same word in Philippians chapter 3, where um, Paul says having the same attitude like that of Christ Jesus. That word attitude is the Greek word phroneo. And what it means is the exercise of your thoughts and the affection of your heart. So a lot of times we think an attitude or a mindset is a noun, but if we read this in the Greek, it's actually a verb form, meaning I get to engage in a thoughtful exercise. How am I choosing to exercise my thoughts? When I'm exercising, that's a form of practice. It means I'm doing it on a regular basis. Also with the affections of my heart. Where am I? That affection is, is that emotional side of us. Am I practicing affections towards God? Am I practicing affections towards things of the kingdom? Am I practicing the affections 
of the Spirit, meaning I'm practicing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I'm giving a lot of information in this, but that invitation in Colossians 3.2 is the invitation to have an undivided devotion, to choose how to set your mind to make sure that your mind and your heart are exercising kingdom truths on a regular basis. This is the whole premise behind a lot of my prayer practices. Again, go to that playlist where I'm talking about prayer demonstrations, those mirror talks, where I'm choosing to exercise uh, the thoughts of the kingdom, the words of the kingdom, the heart of the kingdom, and I'm actively activating those in my life um, by engaging in a a practice, a regular practice of speaking those things over my life. But the enemy wants to distract us. He wants to distract us from keeping our eye on God, keeping our eye on the kingdom. He wants to distract us. Um, I'm thinking about um, how many times as a speaker, when I'm standing up on a stage, um, and I remember distinctly one specific example. Um, I was in a gymnasium type auditorium and there were probably 500 people in the audience and I was on the stage and I remember really just focusing on the audience using just practicing audience awareness skills, watching what is the spirit doing um, to the listeners and in the listeners. And it was interesting to me that somebody came out of a room up on the balcony and began to walk across the balcony and my eye immediately shifted from being focused and wholly devoted to my audience to what's happening up on the balcony. That fast, my eye shifted. And with my eye, wouldn't you know it, that I lost uh, my mindset as far as I I forgot what I was speaking, I forgot what the point I was making, and I kind of got lost for about 20 seconds and, and literally had to say out loud, I'm so sorry, I got completely distracted by this person up on the balcony. And then of course use that as an example of how easily we are distracted by things that we seem or are even in a moment very devoted to. So if we're not intentional to keep our eye focused on what God has placed in front of us and what God is doing and the heart of God in every situation like that, that easily we can become distracted. If you were, uh, you or I were in a room and we had just had supper and we were full and we were content, but somebody in another room began to bake brownies and we caught the scent of brownies, that scent of brownies would not only um, catch our attention, it would affect our senses. We would begin to uh, be mindful of the brownies. We would probably be mi- begin to feel a hunger for the brownies um, because we get distracted even through our senses. Um, and so we need to really recognize that the enemy is uh, the master at distraction. And if you are not intentional to stay focused on God, to practice devotion towards God, you will be easily distracted. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, 11.3, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere devotion to Christ. I'm reminded in, um, I believe it's in Hebrews, it talks about uh, being intentional lest you drift away. It doesn't talk about taking the plunge. I mean, you and I are probably at a place in our relationship with the Lord where we know better than to just necessarily jump off a cliff. But these passages are actually talking to believers and, and it's talking to people who do have a sincere devotion to Christ 
but still there's this awareness of how easily our minds are led astray and how easily the enemy wants to deceive us and how easily we could drift from the truth. I'm reminded of when I'm laying on a raft or you're uh, you know, in a lake or whatever it is, or you're, maybe you're in your pool and you're, you're kind of anchored next to the side of the pool, you're anchored next to the dock, and if you let go of that, you know, you're, you got your eyes shut and you can feel the floating of the water and it doesn't re you don't realize how far you have drifted until you open your eyes and you look and you're maybe 15 to 20 yards away from the dock. And it was just this subtle drifting, but next thing you know, you're so far away from where you were once anchored. And I, I think we need to be really intentional to stay anchored. If, if you are the type of person, I'm just going to say it straight, if you are the type of person that is going once a week and you're anchoring yourself to the church and you're allowing the church to keep you anchored to your relationship with the Lord, it is very possible that you are fresh meat for the enemy throughout the week. I don't know about you, I cannot go a day without being anchored to the word, without being anchored to Jesus through prayer, without being anchored to the spirit. I cannot wait from Sunday to Sunday because I will drift. I will be led astray. I will be led by my emotions. I will be led by ridiculous circumstances. I will be led by offense. I will be led by anger. I will be led by my knee that hurts, whatever it is. Um, and I don't want to be led by those things. I want to be led by the Spirit. I don't want to come out from this place of having an undivided, totally undistracted devotion to Christ. And in order for that to happen, I have to practice that. I'm not even going to say on a daily basis. I have to practice that on a second-to-second -second basis. You know, I, I'm, I'm getting more to the place where I'm asking the Lord, like, what does it look like? What does it mean to not be like, oh, I have my quiet time in the morning and then I did my day, but I'm never coming out of that space. What does it look like that even when I'm having a conversation that's not about God, there's still a narrative in my mind and there's a narrative in my heart that is all about God. And this is where we want to be. Look, you and I are spirit beings and here on earth, we're having a natural experience. But if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we're living in the natural and occasionally we're having spiritual experiences. I, I'm not okay with that because the enemy is going to find us and he is going to distract us and he is going to pull us away and keep us from living a life to the fullest, that abundant light, life, that overflowing life, uh, that life that Jesus died so that we could have here while we're here on this earth. We don't have to wait till we get to eternity to reap the fullness of life. I'm reminded of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, um, where he um, he is distracted. Clearly, he's, he's, uh, the enemy is coming and he uh, is, is concerned. Um, and there's a, a section in there, that, forgive me, I'm, I'm trying to allow the Holy Spirit to really reveal uh, the passage of scripture, but there's a section there where he consults the Lord and it says that he gets down on his face uh, before the Lord. And then it says this, and in the morning he got up. Um, and, and I can't help but get this visual of Jehoshaphat being face down like this. Um, and and I, I, I believe it's because he could not afford to be distracted by the things he might see on his right or on his left or the things he might hear if he were not just totally in an actual physical position that would keep him 
wholly devoted and undistracted. And, and then it says, and in the morning he got up. So it doesn't say that he was on his face all night long, but he got down on his knees and in the morning he got up. And so I, I, I feel as though the Holy Spirit is inviting me to consider what it looks like to live in a constant posture where my eyes are solely focused on him, where my devotion is totally focused on him and I'm not distracted by the things on my left and on my right. So one of the other ways that the enemy, and this is what this whole message is about, one of the other things that the enemy is trying to get us to do is not just live a distracted life, keep us from being wholly devoted to him, but he wants us to believe a false identity. Um, and this is the very crux of almost every book that I write, of almost every message that I give, is really understanding the fullness of your identity. I call it your God design, who you are designed to be, your God potential. Uh, we talked about the five P's, and that, which is the five deceptions of the world. Go back and watch that episode. Check it out. But the enemy does not want you to know who you really are. He does not want you to know your fullest potential. He does not want you to know the authority that you have, the power that you have, the victory that you have. He does not want you to walk um, in your fullest identity. In Numbers 13, 33, um, it's where the Israelites are entering into the promised land and God says pick 12 that would go in and actually um, scout out the land. And so they go in and they scout and they see, sure, surely this is, you know, it's, there's fruit, there's a lot of abundance here. They actually bring back um, fruit on a vine so they could see that God is a God of his word and he is um, he has brought us to the place that he said he would bring us to. It, it surely is filled a land filled with milk and honey. But he, they, then they have this big butt in there. But there are these giants there and they see us as grasshoppers. And in Numbers 13, 33, it says, we seem to like grasshoppers in our own eyes. I want you to hear that again, because what was happening there is they began to see themselves through the eyes of the enemy. They began to see themselves through the eyes of the obstacle. They began to see themselves through the eyes of the bigness of the circumstance, of the thing they had to overcome. And the enemy wants you to see yourself through the eyes of the enemy, of the thing. The enemy doesn't have to be a person. A lot of times, whatever is opposing us is, um, is, is finances. It's uh, that breakthrough that we need in our business. It's whatever it is. And if we're looking to our finances or we're looking to that obstacle, or we're looking to the opposition and we allow ourselves to be seen and that is our frame of reference and God is not our frame of reference, we surely will see ourselves as teeny tiny, as weak and frail and feeble and unable and lacking in those moments. But God says that our identity is found in him and in him alone. But the enemy wants you to believe that you are just a grasshopper that you don't have the strength, that you are not big enough, that you cannot overcome, that you are not worthy. It goes on, it says, we looked the same to them. And so they took on, I need you to get this. The, the Israelites are in the wilderness and they are walking in the identity of the children of God. They have been delivered out of captivity, they've been delivered from the hand of the Egyptian, totally believing God for this promise, watching God provide for them the identity that they had wandering around. They were not, they were not slaves of the Egyptians anymore. Um, they were, their only identity was here we are out in this wilderness and God 
is our God. Jehovah is our God. God is our Father. God is our provider. We are the children of God. And in a moment, they see two opposing messages. Come on, because this is what we talked about from the very beginning. They see the provision for God's children and they see the enemy looking at them like they're just grasshoppers. This goes back to that woman when she was being uh, about to be stoned, the adulterous woman, that there was the opinion of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and there was the opinion of Jesus. Same thing, we have these opposing opinions. The opinion that the circumstance is saying, the bigness of the enemy, but then also still this opinion that God is saying, but I rescued you and you are my children and I have provided for you and I see you and I am with you and I want this promise for you. Yet we know that the scripture goes on to say that the, the Israelites chose not to enter in they chose to believe the identity of the grasshopper, come on, versus the identity of the children. So I talk a lot in a lot of my store, in a lot of my teachings about core beliefs, how to overcome core, core beliefs, how to identify core beliefs. If you have not read my book, Enforcing You, I would highly recommend that you get it. It helps you actually identify um, core beliefs that are stealing the fullness of your identity, that are keeping you from walking in the fullness of who you are called to be. But I want to end with this. I want us to think about the Cinderella story. And, and I want you to think about how, as children, now guys, I don't know as much about you, but as women, we love this story, right? So here we have this girl who has um, been given an identity by her stepmother and her two wicked stepsisters. And um, in a moment, in a moment, uh, she has an encounter with the fairy godmother who transforms her into a completely new identity, a new creation in Christ. That's what we talk about, uh, that we are now a new creation in Christ. And this garment that she's been given, she goes to the castle, she has an encounter with the prince, and they fall in love with each other. They They have this it's this amazing scene again as a small child I remember thinking oh my gosh I want to be in love with that like that someday I want somebody to look at me like that someday I want to have the prince uh, fight for me like that someday and so we know how the story goes on that she of course at midnight uh, she's about to be shifted back into her old uh, creation lose the uh, turn back into the rags um, instead of the riches and uh, and so she goes back to her cottage um, and then the prince begins to search for her and, um, and he has the glass slipper and he stops at nothing to find her. But when he finds her, he finds her uh, in the rags, in the location, in the mentality, all of that in her old nature. Uh, the, the identity that her wicked stepmother and wicked stepsisters had slapped on her, that is the condition he finds her in. But when he looks at her, he says, I still find you worthy of wearing the glass slipper, of coming to the castle with me, of being one with me, to, of being in relationship with me. I wanna pick you up and I wanna pull you out of this and I want to take you to the castle. But he gave her a free will. He put the slipper on her foot. Now, if you and I were to watch this movie and it were to end with her saying, look, I see your love for me. I see your passion for me. Man, I had a great time with you. It was an incredible encounter. And I loved being that person, but 
man, I just don't feel like I'm going to be able to come out of this place. I, I, I just, if you don't mind, I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to stay stuck in this identity and this identity feels more real to me and it feels more familiar to me and it's the words of this identity are in my head. I just can't, I just can't. I don't think I could ever step into and ever feel worthy of what you're offering me. We would hate that movie if that was the ending. That would be a terrible, terrible ending. Um, and so, of course, we know the story goes is that she steps out of the identity of wearing the rags um, and steps into the riches of the kingdom um, which you and I have been given that option as well to walk away from the identity of our past that the enemy wants to keep us stuck in and come into the truth of our identity and that is that you and I are a child of God and all the riches of the kingdom are due us. The full inheritance of Jesus Christ is upon you and I. The enemy does not want you to walk in that identity. He wants to keep you in the cottage. He wants to keep you in the desert. He wants to keep you in your wilderness. He wants to keep you in not even your lack. He wants to keep you even in just enough. He doesn't want you to come into the abundance that God has in mind for you. So I really want you to press in, allow the spirit to really search you and show you places where you're living a false identity. And listen, you could be living in the fullness of your God identity in one area of your life, but living in a false identity in another area of your life. That is very, very possible. But God wants you to walk in the fullness of who you're designed to be in every area of your life. All right, you guys, that sums up this episode. Remember from now till next time, enforcing purpose. It starts with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can also find me on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my other podcast show, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For general information or resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. Thanks for listening.